from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast where we sometimes veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. Special thanks to my patrons who voted for this episode. Thank you so much. You are truly appreciated. And for anyone else, please feel free to join my patrons so that you can vote on who will be covered next or get early access to the podcasts like, share, and subscribe, it might just help our little community grow. So today's podcast was voted for by patrons and will be on the author of a children's book about grief, Corey Richens. You may have already heard about the case, but I wanted to cover it and there is an update. And since this is still being investigated and no one has been straight up convicted of anything yet, every bit of information in this podcast is alleged, supposed, you know, quote, sources said, all of that. It is important to cover one's ass, as you well know. So let's begin. Corey Darden was born on April 20th, 1990 in Utah. Her parents are Ronald and Lisa Darden. Now, Ronald was born in April of 1952 in Sumter, South Carolina. He worked as an instrumentation supervisor with Daniels Construction. Lisa Darden was born in July of 1959, but I was not immediately able to find out where. Other than Corey, the couple also had one daughter and two sons. I actually wasn't quite able to find out what the situation was between Corey's parents, but I did find that her two brothers were both living in South Carolina, where Ronald was living when he died, according to his obituary. He had been convicted of several DUIs, as well as charges of public intoxication, so Corey's mother, Lisa, was the consistent parent for the children. It gives me at least the impression, and of course I could be wrong, that there was some turmoil in the family, the parents split, and the sons may have moved back to South Carolina at some point for college or when they were grown. All just speculation, and we'll touch on his death in a bit. What was also pretty impossible to find was anything about Corey's childhood, and that may come out as court cases near. But people that knew Corey described her as a highly intelligent, very sweet girl, and stayed that way into adulthood. 
So Corey received her bachelor's degree in healthcare administration from Weber State University in Utah and went on to earn her master's degree in human resources from Utah State University, but went on to work in real estate, and she sort of specialized in large houses to mansions. So as I stated before, Ronald, Corey's father, died in January 2010 when she was 20 years old. So this would have been during the time she was earning her bachelor's degree. Later that same year, she began a housekeeping business in Farmington, Utah. So we get the sense that she was also a very ambitious young lady. Now, we have to assume that her business wasn't successful long-term because Corey began working as a cashier for Home Depot. And this would be the turning point in her life because this was when a co-worker and friend of Corey's would introduce her to Eric Richens. So Eric Eugene Richens was a son of Jean and the late Linda Richens, born on May 13, 1982 in Bountiful, Utah. This would make Eric eight years older than Corey. Now the Richens family were members of the Mormon church. Eric had two younger sisters. The family had a sprawling cattle ranch, worked very hard, and were just the salt-of-the-earth types. The family was pretty well known to the locals around them and were described as well respected. Eric grew up excelling at sports and loving to hunt. He hunted a lot of different game and was even able to visit other countries to hunt, such as Africa, Canada, and Mexico. He was a trophy hunter. People that knew him described him as very family-oriented young man who doted on his family and enjoyed helping work on the family ranch. He attended the University of Utah and created his own masonry company with a partner, and the company was pretty successful. It was said that he was one of those people who would, you know, give you the shirt off his back to someone who needed it. All-around good guy. He had married a woman named Julie in 2005, but they would later divorce, and Julie actually died in 2011 during an unfortunate but intense car crash when someone rear-ended her at full speed. I couldn't find out much about their marriage other than I believe it didn't end well particularly. So Eric was, of course, in and out of Home Depot for his masonry business, and as most men did, Due to Corey being an attractive young woman, Eric took notice of her, and so the co-worker friend told Eric he should ask Corey out. The friend stated that it was pretty obvious Eric was attracted to Corey, and after Eric drummed up the courage to ask her out on a date, she agreed, and the two were basically inseparable from then on. All sources described it as very much a fairy tale relationship. So Eric and Corey got married in 2013. He was 31, she was 23. But word around the campfire was that Eric's mother, Linda, brought a prenuptial agreement for Corey to sign, stating that they were just, you know, trying to protect Eric after the horrible aforementioned divorce he had gone through with his now late ex-wife. The sort of fine print was that if one of them died, then the other would actually have access to future money and, you know, all of that. If they got divorced, she would not be granted any money. 
You see, Eric's business at that time was worth a few million dollars, and Eric had purchased a life insurance policy so that if anything happened to him, his portion of the company would be split between Corey and the man he had started the business with. If Eric died, the partner would get enough money to then buy out Corey's interest in their company because she wouldn't want it. I mean, you get the idea. So when they got married, Corey was working as an administrative assistant for Park City Hospital, so this means at some point she quit working at Home Depot. All sources and interviewed friends and family all said that the marriage seemed to be perfect. They seemed to get along great and were quite the enviable couple. This was around the time Corey got into real estate. Together, Corey and Eric would purchase properties, would fix them up or flip them, and turn around and sell them for quite the profit. In turn, they owned several properties as well. I'm not sure if they rented them out or not, but suffice to say that they were financially stable and pretty well off. They then went on to have three sons together, each roughly two years apart. And it was said by all sources that Eric was a great father, that he spent a lot of time with his boys, doted on them. When they were old enough to play children's sports, why, Eric became the coach of their teams. You get the idea that these two were a match made in heaven. Of course, no one has the perfect marriage that never experienced a bump or two in the road. That goes without saying. But by all accounts, they were a healthy, loving family. But starting in 2020, seven years into the marriage, Eric began feeling that his wife wasn't acting quite like herself, and his gut instincts were pretty spot on, because it has been reported by ABC News that Corey had allegedly been making purchases for life insurance policies on Eric, to be exact, and they totaled nearly $2 million, according to an amended court document filed just last month in May. He, of course, was not aware of these life insurance policies. But Eric thought that perhaps some time away together would be just what the doctor ordered, so they planned a trip for just the two of them to Greece. Well, one night, while on their trip, Eric made a phone call to one of his sisters, stating that he wasn't feeling well. He said that Corey had made him a drink, and just as he had finished it, he began to violently throw up. He confessed to his sister that he suspected Corey might have put something in the drink to poison and kill him. And really, why did he immediately jump to that conclusion? It's interesting to me, and it makes me think that their relationship had indeed been on the decline, and it also makes me think that perhaps there had been another situation or other where he suspected his wife had, well, ill intentions. I mean, we've all had a traveling situation where you're drinking the local water, you get some stomach upset, you get it, you get it. But after they arrived back home, it was said that life went back to the way it was in that no one really thought there was any troubled waters, as they say. They just seemed to have the perfect life. Even after his suspicions, Eric didn't want to really believe his marriage might be struggling and ignored some signs because he loved his family and especially his three sons so completely. He did, however 
eventually discover that Corey had allegedly obtained a $250,000 home equity line of credit on their home in Camas and spent all of it. All of it. Eric found out that Corey had also withdrawn at least $100,000 from his bank accounts and spent more than $30,000 using his credit cards, according to a new amended court document. It also alleged, according to NBC News, that Corey was, quote, appropriating distributions made from Eric Richens' business for the purpose of making federal and state quarterly tax payments and not paying the taxes, end quote. The stolen tax payments totaled at least $134,346, according to this filing. Sources say that he did confront her about this money to which she confessed to and agreed to pay the money back. So with his suspicions, it was said that the same year they took their trip and when they got back, November of 2020 to be exact, he drew up a new living trust. Now, a living trust is basically a document that lets you decide specifically what will happen to your property after you die. You can also use a trust to control how your beneficiaries will spend their inheritance. Eric did not tell Corey that he had done this. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. In this new trust, it stated that all of Eric's personal property, he and his family's home, as well as his stake in his masonry business, were named in it along with a $500,000 life insurance policy and named one of his sisters as the sole person who had control over this trust. Not his wife, not Corey, one of his sisters. And then for the next two years, nothing else was mentioned. Things really seemed to be good within the Richens' house. And then in 2022, it is said that Eric became suspicious again about his wife and that perhaps she might be plotting against him in some way. In January 2022, Eric and his business partner took out $2 million life insurance policies and had each other as their beneficiaries. Once Corey found out about this, she was somehow able to allegedly, changed the policy to list herself as the beneficiary. Eric was alerted to this change, and he immediately had it changed back. And so again, after Corey discovered that Eric had changed it back, she allegedly filled out an application to be filed for a new $100,000 life insurance policy on her husband's life. And during all of this back and forth, there was a rather large, unfinished mansion on nine acres that had hit the market. And although it was unfinished, it would need a substantial amount of money to get it completed and able to sell. Well, Corey wanted to purchase it and flip it, as they say, thinking they would get a ton of money out of it. Eric was not convinced that the time and money it would take to put into the mansion to finish it and sell it would even be worth it, and this became a source of contention between them. 
Sources stated that they went back and forth about this, sometimes getting into some pretty decent arguments about it. Also, around this time, from very late 2021 through February 2022, phone records have supposedly indicated that Corey began communicating with a person only known as C.L. to purchase illicit drugs. She told C.L. that she wanted to purchase some painkillers for an investor whose back was going out. C.L. sold her some pills. After ABC News stated that Eric ate a sandwich that Corey had made for him for lunch, along with a written love note. Quickly after eating the sandwich, he broke out in serious hives and thankfully found his son's EpiPen, self-administered, and slept off the severe allergic reaction. And after this, Eric's suspicions of his wife potentially trying to poison him began to surface yet again. He even confided in a friend that he thought his wife might be trying to poison him, even involved his sisters, and yet he didn't take any further steps because he didn't want to break his family apart for his boys. So two weeks later, Corey contacted CL again and said that she wanted something stronger and allegedly explicitly said she wanted, quote, some of that Michael Jackson stuff, end quote. We, of course, know she meant fentanyl, which is gravely more intense than heroin. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that is up to 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times stronger than morphine. It has quickly become the major contributor to fatal and non-fatal overdoses in the U.S. So, C.L. sold her somewhere between 15 to 30 pills for what I believe was about $900. Now, remember that mansion that they had been fussing over? Eric decided to cave at least a bit and put in an offer on it that he thought would not be agreed to. Except it was. The property actually went under contract, and he had not been prepared for that. Disappointed, Eric went on to tell his family that, since the contract was not technically finalized, he was going to tell Corey that they were going to back out, and he knew she was going to be upset. So again, according to ABC News, after Eric told her the news, Corey began to panic. It was said that she allegedly owed more than a million dollars, and it would seem she thought flipping the mega mansion would be what she needed to settle some large debts. On March 3, 2022, she talked to a money lender to whom she owed at least $1.8 million and had quite the lengthy telephone call with the IRS. She had outstanding state and federal tax liabilities totaling $189,840, and also still owed her husband at least $514,346. This is all still alleged, supposed, so on. Now, according to Corey, this is how the night went. She and Eric were excited that the deal on the mansion was going to go through, so they decided to celebrate. She started things off by making her beloved husband a drink called a Moscow Mule, which I personally have never heard of, so you know I looked it up, and apparently it is made with ginger beer, vodka, and lime. I'm really not much of a drinker, but you guys who have tried one, let me know if it's any good. 
she brought him the drink along with an edible gummy to bed. And then one of their sons had awakened due to a night terror, according to Corey. So she went and got in bed with him to comfort him and wound up falling asleep herself. She said she then woke up around 3 a.m., her son sleeping peacefully, and got up to go get back in bed with her husband. Only when she got there, she said she realized that he was not breathing and his skin was cold to the touch. She called 911 at 3.22 a.m., stating she had found her husband unresponsive at the foot of the bed. Once emergency services arrived, they worked on trying to revive him as much as they possibly could, but it was of no use. He was dead. Corey had told the response team that she had tried to revive him by way of CPR, but that it hadn't worked. And the EMTs would observe themselves that her story was most likely a lie because he had some blood coming out of his mouth. So Eric and Corey had been married for nine years when he was pronounced dead on March 4th, 2022. Conveniently, the day after Corey had made the phone calls and had contact with her creditors. Due to Eric only being 39 years old, there had to be an autopsy. And the autopsy revealed that he had five times the fatal amount of fentanyl in his system, according to the medical examiner. And it wasn't the pharmaceutical-grade stuff either. This was street fentanyl. The medical examiner also said that the drug had been ingested orally, not smoked or injected. Interesting. So, when Corey was questioned, she told authorities that she had purposely left her phone plugged in to charge up in her bedroom, except that investigators found that her phone had been locked and unlocked several times over those hours and also showed being moved around the bedroom areas before 911 was called, the statement said. Perhaps waiting to make sure he was totally dead, Corey? Running through stories in her head and practicing facial expressions before making an official call? You know, I'm just being sarcastic. It's speculation on my part, of course. As the investigation continued, there was evidence that suggested that Corey sent and received messages during that night through her phone that were then allegedly deleted. So I can't wait to hear what they said. Detectives said they found communication between Corey and a person who had been previously charged with possession of a controlled substance with intent to distribute. We will assume this is the infamous C.L., and they discovered the two had reportedly been texting one another between December 2021 and February 2022. Investigators also asked her if Eric had had a drug addiction, to which she said that he had been addicted to painkillers in high school, but she had not been aware of anything recent. It is important to note that his family denied he ever had a problem with painkillers. So during all of this investigation, as Corey and her sons grieved the death of Eric, only a few days later, Corey allegedly had a locksmith drill into his safe, which contained between $125,000 to $165,000 in cash, according to a recent court filing. 
When Eric's sister suggested that Corey shouldn't take that money, it was said Corey allegedly became enraged and punched the sister in the face and neck. It was at this point that Corey found out Eric had created that living trust, naming his sister to be the executor of that trust. So the court document alleges that five to six days after her husband's death, Corey told CL to leave more fentanyl pills in a fire pit at a home she owned. Was she planning on murdering Eric's sister as well? Mere speculation on my part again. But a few months later, Eric's sister hired a private investigator to follow and take note of what Corey was up to now that Eric was gone. And as it turned out, Corey filed a motion to have Eric's sister removed as the head of that trust. Rather predictable behavior there, but I digress. That legal dispute continues to this day as of this recording. But never fear, because while Corey believed that all was well, that the story of how Eric had died had been believed and that the book was shut on his death, investigators were quietly beginning to prove otherwise. They discovered text messages between CL and interviewed this person who admitted to selling the fentanyl to Corey, which we all know is what killed Eric. So time went on, as time does, and a year after Eric's death, in March of this year, Corey allegedly wrote the children's book, Are You With Me?, to try to explain how life goes on and comfort children who are grieving a lost loved one. Now, I have personally heard that she didn't actually write this book. Rather, she used either a ghostwriter or some kind of AI writing software or website that did it for her because she left a favorable review for the site. Amateur. The book itself is 41 pages long and is about a boy questioning whether his father is with him when he is sad or mad and whether he is with him for special occasions. The father reassures the boy that he is there for all of those moments. Due to the limited local success of her book, as she was promoting it, this past April, she was asked to appear in a local TV segment on KTVX for Salt Lake City called Good Things Utah, explaining that she wrote the book, she didn't, to help children cope with the loss of a loved one. She said she was inspired to write this book due to her husband's unexpected death and how that had deeply impacted her and her three boys. Corey said grieving was about, quote, making sure that their spirit is always alive in your home, end quote. In the dedication section of Corey's book, it says, quote, dedicated to my amazing husband and a wonderful father. She told the interviewers, quote, It took us all by shock. My kids and I kind of wrote this book on the different emotions and grieving processes that we experienced last year, hoping that it can kind of help other kids deal with this and find happiness some way or another, end quote. And again, I want to remind everyone that she didn't actually write this book. Oh, and also, with it being barely over a year since her husband's untimely death, Corey went on to the show without wearing her wedding rings. So that caught my attention, and I looked around and I found a professional who studies a person's body language, and they said that, while not completely out of the realm of possibility, it is quite uncommon for someone who loved their spouse so much 
to just stop wearing their wedding rings that quickly, and especially so if they were promoting a book about how to help children process their grief over the loss of a loved one, especially the father of the very children she allegedly wrote it with, and for especially while on a TV segment about this particular subject. And during an interview, Corey mentioned that she was unable to find any books for children about the death of a loved one, which is what spurred her on to write this with one of her sons, that she didn't write when, in fact, there are plenty of books on this subject. She wrote this book to profit off of her husband's death because he had written her out, had put his sister as the executor of his estate. Corey was running out of money fast and had even contacted a bankruptcy lawyer as well. She was actively suing Eric's sister for the money she felt should have gone to her. So on May 8, 2023, Corey was arrested in connection to Eric's death, charged with first-degree aggravated murder and three counts second-degree possession of a controlled substance with the intent to distribute. She was denied bond. On June 6th, an article written for ParkCity.com stated that a judge had denied a gag order that was kind of up and down. So, we had an update on June 12th, I believe. She had a preliminary hearing, so I'm going to, in the vein of the Monday morning murder in the news, read to you this article that is the update from that court date. So this article comes from the Salt Lake Tribune, and it was published on June 12th, 2023, 12.36 p.m. And the title reads, Utah author and murder suspect Corey Richens denied bail poses substantial danger, judge rules. So this took place in Park City. A Utah author accused of fatally drugging her husband with fentanyl last year was denied bail Monday after a judge ruled that she poses a substantial danger to herself, family members, and the community. Quote, The circumstances of this case weigh soundly against granting pretrial release of any kind, Third District Judge Richard Mrazek said Monday as he ordered Corey Richens held without bail. Prosecutors had argued in a court filing Friday that Corey Richens is an extreme danger to others. Quote, Poisoning is a disturbingly calculated murder method and money over an ever-present murder motive, Summit County prosecutors wrote in the Friday filing ahead of the Monday detention hearing. Eric Richens was found dead at the foot of his bed. Corey Richens is accused of killing him after the two argued over a $2 million real estate deal the night prior. So during the Monday hearing, Corey Richens could be seen shaking her head and touching a tissue to her face as she sat between her two defense attorneys in front of a packed courtroom gallery while Eric Richens' sister, Amy, shared a victim impact statement. Quote, Eric is gone and I am brokenhearted. He was my best friend and protector. I can never talk to him, never hug him, and never more be a part of his life, she said, her voice shaking. The sister also argued that Corey Richens has kept Eric's three young sons away from Eric's family and told them that their father's family does not love them. Quote, I never knew evil like this existed, she said. 
Corey Richens was charged on May 8th with one count of aggravated murder and three counts of possession of a controlled substance with intent to distribute in connection with her husband's death. Prosecutors have pointed to autopsy and toxicology findings, which indicate that Eric Richens died from a fentanyl overdose. In the days leading up to his death, text messages investigators found on Corey Richardson's phone indicate that she had sought fentanyl from someone identified as C.L. Prosecutors described C.L. Monday as someone who cleaned the Richens family home as well as homes for Corey Richardson's house flipping business. So now we know that C.L. was an employee of Corey's. There is also an ongoing probate case over Eric Richardson's estate, as well as a separate civil dispute over his trust, and an ongoing child custody case regarding the couple's children. Discussing motive, Summit County Prosecutor Patricia Castle on Monday said that Corey Richens was in, quote, dire financial straits. Castle argued that Corey Richens viewed killing her husband as a way to get out of that debt. So the article goes on to say that, or her defense attorney said, it could have been accidental. Being bad with money does not make you a murderer, and on and on it goes. But I wanted to read you that article to give you the update that she has been denied bond and that CL had been an employee of hers, had actually been in their home in a house cleaner. So that's morbid and disturbing. So... That is the case of Corey Richens so far. We'll have to keep an eye on it. I'm sure there will be a trial of which we will have to follow, of course. So tell me, guys, what do you think about this? Leave me a comment or you can DM me on Instagram at Serial underscore Killing or you can talk to me on the Serial Killing a Podcast fan page on Facebook, which is growing quickly, and we can discuss the case there. And as always... Thank you guys so much for listening, because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me, and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Anybody who killed more than two or three people was a mass murderer, and whether it was all at one place or over an extended period of time, and then uh, in the early 80s, they came up with this differentiation called serial killing.